All right, y'all, welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of Antiwar.com, author of the book Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there. And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. Hey, you guys, introducing Nabosa Malich. And he is a Bosnian, sir, but he's an American. And he was for a very long time a regular writer at antiwar.com, where he wrote the column Balkan Express. And uh, now he writes for RT. And I have a lot of questions uh, welcome back to the show after a very long uh, time without speaking. Good to have you back, Nabocha. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me back, and I hopefully have answers for you. Yeah, man. Well, I've been reading and writing a lot about the Bosnian War lately, and including uh, hopefully not, you know, uh, plagiarizing your articles too heavily. Uh, from antiwar.com as I go through and, and do my research. Well, I already did all that like a year ago. I've been reading books lately. But anyways, so I got a lot better handle on the thing than I ever did. And it's always, I think, I probably told you this in 2003 or four when I first interviewed you was um, I was just too young for Bosnia. I paid attention during Kosovo and I was good on it. But uh, not just against it, but I understood it pretty well. I followed it pretty closely and all that and cared about it and stuff. But Bosnia, was, I was just too young and... And in high school, and too many consonants in those names, too hard to memorize all those different provinces and complications. But I feel like I got a good handle on it now, and I really hope that I did a decent job of conveying what happened there in the chapter that I wrote about it in my new book that I'm working on that'll come out someday. Um, but anyway, so now that I know a lot more about it, I'm also a lot more interested in it, and also. I've read some scary headlines about people threatening to kill each other over there and Joe Biden flying F-16s around. And I thought, oh, no, man, don't kick off another one of these crises in this term here. Um, but I don't know nearly enough about what is going on. So could you give us ha, the basic thumbnail sketch of the relationship between the Bosnian Serb Republic and the Bosnian uh, Muslim Republic and the Bosnian Croatian Republic and whatever, how it, however it is there now, and sure. what the crisis is about? Okay, so um, super, super brief sketch because this, this is, um, it bores me to tears when I go into detail. Um, uh, there was a, back in 1992, um, Yugoslavia still existed. And uh, Bosnia was one of its six constituent republics, kind of like the Soviet Union or the 50 U.S. states. And um, the three communities who live there, because there isn't a single majority community, you, you, you basically have um, uh, people who, um, whose ancestors accepted Islam, uh, came to identify as Bosnian Muslims. They've sort of had a long and winding identity road, but they eventually the majority of them settled on this identity called Bosniak, which was in, introduced in 1993. Um, and then you have people who were Orthodox Christians, they consider themselves Serbs, and uh, just about everybody who um, had any sort of connection with Catholicism ended up getting classified as Croats. 
And in 1991, 92, there was about 52% Christians and about 44% Muslims overall, Christians combined, I mean. Um, and there wasn't really a way to create a nation state out of this. Um, and they, they, the three ethnic, because democracy ended up being census, the three ethnic nationalist parties who ended up uh, winning the first um, democratic election after communism ended up in a power sharing agreement and they signed this deal brokered by the EU that they would, you know, okay, the Serbs and the Croats would accept Bosnia's independence, but the Muslims would have to accept power sharing and sort of a, you know, decentralization. And the U.S. ambassador shows up in March of 1992 and tells the Bosnian Muslim leader, if you don't like it, why sign it? And basically, according to multiple people I've spoken to, including the former Canadian ambassador to Yugoslavia, this is exactly what happened in the Bosnian Muslims. The leader of the Bosnian Muslims, Ali Izabegovic, took this as the U.S. Be, being willing to fight a war, his war for him, just like they did um, in Kuwait uh, two years in 1991 against Iraq. And he reneged on the peace treaty, declared independence unilaterally, kicked off the civil war. Fast forward three years later, this is November 1995, and the U.S. now needs a peace deal. And it needs a peace deal in Bosnia on its own terms in order to sideline both the U.N. and the EU. And so Richard Holbrook, the late Richard Holbrook, is sent by Bill Clinton to browbeat people into doing this. And he, uh, you know, the U.S. and NATO bombed the Serbs. They give Muslims and Croats guns. They somewhat changed the reality on the ground through ethnic cleansing. And then they call everybody to this Air Force base in Ohio and say, OK, now you have to sign this deal that we drew up for you. This is called the Dayton Peace Agreement. And after many, many uh, dramatic episodes, which Holbrook recounts in his own memoirs, that quite contradict the conventional wisdom on the entire war, uh, the peace treaty is signed. Uh, the Bosnian Serbs accept uh, control of half of Bosnian territory, 49% to be specific, because you, you know this was drafted by a lawyer. And this half of Bosnian territory is called the Republika Srpska, or the Serb Republic. And the other half is called the Federation of Bosnia and Herzegovina, um, which, but also in, in conventional parlance, was, was known as uh, Federation of Bosniaks and Croats. Uh, same spelling in the, in the local language. And um, the Federation is subdivided into these 10 provinces, each of which acts kind of like an independent state of its own. It's a completely dysfunctional entity. It was drafted up in Washington in 1994 as a, a battle alliance against the Serbs. It's never worked. Uh, that's, that's a separate story. I'll circle back to it in a minute. So this is the setup. This is the mise-en-scene. And it, it has been, uh, what is it, 2024, so almost, almost 29 years, 28 years since this, this happened. And throughout these 28 years, um, Bosnia has been a protectorate of the U.S. and NATO, effectively, not even the EU, in which a um, random foreigner, usually a, a failed European politician, is appointed the viceroy, or as they style themselves, high representative, and basically imposes the laws, alters the constitution, does whatever the hell he wants, based on these powers that were delegated to him at this conference, but nobody knows what these powers are. There's no document to this. Um, there's, there were, nobody had the powers to delegate to him. It's, it's all very, very highly irregular. I mean, a, a U.S. constitutional lawyer would, would get hives from just hearing about this. And the whole 
for the past 28 years, there's been this huge push to basically annul the Dayton Agreement without outright doing so and alter it so that Bosnia would become the centralized state run by the Bosnian Muslims, basically. And the Serbs are having none of it because they're pointing to the actual written document that says otherwise and say, that's not what it says here. And so you have the situation which the U.S. Embassy is saying that the Serbs are behaving unconstitutionally by abiding by the actual constitution and protesting the unconstitutional acts by a randomly appointed foreigner whom the U.S. Embassy supports. And this whole F-16 episode the other day um, is, is directly related to this because for the past several years, um, one faction of the Bosnian Muslims tried lawfare and basically filed a complaint before this newly invented constitutional court that is not actually in the Dayton Agreement and said that, you know, the Serbs celebrating 9th of January as their anniversary is a discrimination on a religious basis because that's a day, that's a major Orthodox patron saint holiday and therefore that's unfair to, you know, non-Serbs and non-Orthodox. Um, and the Serbs said, well, this is absurd. I mean, this is the anniversary where um, our people met and declared what would become Republika Srpska. We can't change that. And it's also an Orthodox patron saint, and we happen to be Orthodox. You're denying our religious rights. But, you know, this this fake court and this fake viceroy basically said, no, you're discriminating. This is against human rights. You're banned. And the Serbs ignored it and just went ahead and celebrated anyway. So the Americans, in their infinite wisdom or lack thereof, decided— Well, wait, just to, to clarify here, they weren't trying to force Catholic Croats and Bosnian Bosniak Muslims to celebrate their holiday, were they? No, no, no. In fact, the, the, the whole thing is, like, there is no, like, central government law on holidays. Well, wait, and let me uh, ask you this. Is, is this seriously a provocation like you hear in Northern Ireland, like these guys marching through those guys' neighborhood and this kind of thing, you know? So the Serbs are celebrating in their own neighborhoods. It's not like they, you know, walked into a Muslim city and, and, and staged anything. You, you, you basically had a really, really stark contrast on 9th of January. You had this big Serbian celebration in Banja Luka with, you know, a, a parade, some drones up in the sky displaying various things, including a dove of peace. And then you had a impromptu riot in uh, one of the Muslim cities called Zenitsa, where people were waving like the black flag of jihad, chanting Allahu Akbar, kill the infidels and, you know, burning a Serbian flag. And I mean, that's, you know, and, and you had people in Sarajevo smashing up bakeries owned by a Bosnian Serb. Like, and they, and they talk about tolerance and multi-ethnicity and, you know, mm -hmm. secular civic human rights stuff. And I'm like, you're clearly, you know, saying one thing and doing the other. What the heck? And of course, the embassy is like, oh, we condemn all violence. Well, I'm sorry, but you're both sidesing this issue while you're explicitly endorsing one of the sides here. And it's not the side that's that's celebrating peacefully. It's the side committing violence. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, let me ask you this, because someone was tweeting to me. Um, I had written some stuff. I forget what the context was on Twitter with some facts out of my book that I had found about some of the sins of the Bosnian Muslims during the war. And so I got a new Serbian fan who sends me things now. <laughs> and he was saying, look at this attack on the bakery. And then someone else said, yeah, but the guy that owned the bakery had done some terrible thing, whatever it was. So I was wondering if yeah. you could elaborate about that story. And then also, like, in fact, who attacked it? And is that it's like an official pogrom where the 
cops are standing around approving a gang of toughs doing a thing, or it's really just a gang of toughs doing a thing, or can you elaborate exactly? Because, and, and really the point being, the level of tension that this represents, or whether this can be okay again. I mean, you mentioned um, acts by the Bosnian Muslims where they're intruding more and more, or essentially, in fact, I think uh, if I remember the context right, it was kind of defining the state as more and more centralized under Sarajevo's authority against the Serbs. So just elaborate on that more if you could. All right. Well, let's let's people think that, you know, I'm being unduly partisan here. Yeah, I am an ethnic Serb who grew up in what is today um, Sarajevo controlled by the Muslims. Um, So I've got experiences on on both sides of this. But um, in in no universe is it okay to attack a man's property based on his speech. The owner of this bakery hasn't done anything. He may have said things that the Muslims uh, got offended by. But you don't smash a man's bakery for that ever. Like that's not, you know, according to U.S. rules, according to European rules, according to these all civilized Western rules, according to libertarian principles of non-aggression that you and I are largely in alignment with. That is not something you do. Now, if you're looking at the whole Ottoman Empire Sharia rule in which, you know, if any member of a community behaves in a way offensive to Muslims, collective punishment is immediately authorized, then yes. This is this is what would be acceptable, except Sharia law is not actually in implemented in Bosnian, you know, in the Bosnian constitution. If they want to implement it, they can sure try. But that's what the war was fought over. Let me let me circle back to this here. Personally, I think Aljazevic is the biggest um, criminal in Bosnian Muslim history because he managed to get these people in blood feuds with everybody, including themselves. There's a faction of Bosnian Muslims who, who disagreed with him and he declared them traitors and, 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 and organized a hunt on them. And he has made them perpetually miserable, perpetually antagonistic to everybody and completely unable to, to functionally live. Because from, from 1991 onward, they've always blamed everybody else, never tried organizing their own life around any sort of principle. And it's always, oh, the Serbs are to blame or the Croats are to blame or the Europeans are to blame or the, you know, Americans are to, well, not so much Americans. Every so often when the Americans don't do what they want them to do, they, they start criticizing sort of a, think like the Ukrainian sense of self-entitlement. You know, you don't, you're not doing enough for me, how dare you? But it, he created this incredible psychological dependency and, um, to the point where, you know, it's been 28 years since the war. Republika Srpska is functioning as a state. They don't have a whole lot of money, but they're, they have a functional state. And they, they've structured their own lives in a coherent manner. The federation is completely dysfunctional. Every province does whatever the heck it wants. It is completely unable to set up any sort of government. Meanwhile, people are just, you know, bureaucrats are just drawing salaries and, and strangling what little remains of the economy there, extracting everything through taxation and abuse. And, and, and but that's somehow the Serbs' fault. And they always run to the, to, to the embassies, to the EU and the US and, and you know, whine that their, their poverty and their problems and their social issues are somehow the fault of somebody else. And if only we had a centralized government and all these laws that we insist on, everything would be great. You know, it's statism on steroids, and it's disgusting. 
if they if they want if they could have organized themselves normally they would have by now but again as Vegovich's ideology of we are entitled to everything and everything bad that happens is somebody else's fault is is what's holding them back and so what's happening now uh, one of the one of the worst things that's happening now this this whole f-16 overflight by the embassy and, and this, this entire american agitation is more comical than threatening in the sense that you know it's trying to intimidate the serbs the serbs are the ones who shot f-16s before during the 90s on at least two occasions asked the former um, air force secretary air force chief of staff um i think goldfein was his name he was he was a pilot in an f-16 that got shot down over serbia he survived but he remembered it and you know, this is not going to intimidate the Serbs. What it's going to do with this kind of irresponsible behavior by the U.S. embassy that's replicating the mistake of 1992 is it's trying to is it's going to encourage elements among the Bosnian Muslims to believe that it's okay for them to start another war because somebody else is going to fight it for them. Last time they tried this, it led to 100,000 people dead, about 60,000 of them Bosnian Muslims. So it's, a stu- it's not just a stupid idea, it's an evil idea. And the, the American embassy is directly responsible for, for uh, helping encourage it. And it's shameful and it's disgraceful and it needs to stop. Hey, y'all, I got a new coffee sponsor, Mundo's Artisan Coffee at mundosartisancoffee.com. When I wake up in the morning, I feel like my brain is all dried out. I need to pour a hot mug of rich, tasty coffee all over it to get it back working again. Like 10W30 for the noggin. Though not necessary, it helps if the coffee tastes good. Well, Mundo's Artisan Coffee does taste good. They get the best beans from all around the world, and they don't burn them. Support the show and support your brain at mundosartisancoffee.com. Just click the link at the right margin at scotthorton.org. Hey guys, I had some wasps in my house, so I shot them to death with my trusty Bug Assault 3.0 model with the improved salt reservoir and bar safety. I don't have a deal with them, but the show does earn a kickback every time you get a bug assault or anything else you buy from Amazon.com by way of the link in the right-hand margin on the front page at scotthorton.org. So keep that in mind. And don't worry about the mess. Your wife will clean it up. Well, folks, sad to say, they lied us into war. All of them. World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq War I, Serbia, Afghanistan, Iraq War II, Libya, Syria, Yemen, all of them. But now you can get the ebook, All the War Lies, by me for free. Just sign up for the email list at the bottom of the page at scotthorton.org or go to scotthorton.org slash subscribe. Get All the War Lies by me for free. And then you'll never have to believe them again. Hey, can you talk a little bit about the leadership of the Republic Srpska now? Because I read uh, there was a report by Dave DeCamp at antiwar.com where the quote was either brave or foolishly, ridiculously defiant, where he just said, hey, I'm not afraid of you, basically. Which is, you know, the U.S. empire can be very violent and it sure would suck to get this thing kicked off. Like he might've said something like, Hey, I'll have my guys talk to your guys and we'll figure this out or something instead, you know? So here's the thing. I've met Milorad Dodik many years ago, um, at a diplomatic reception. He, um, he's a man who very carefully chooses his words. Um, and 
he has always been, he started out diplomatic. Back in the 90s, he was sort of the American-backed reformer guy. And when he saw that the Americans were not serious about this and they would say one thing and do the other, and it didn't really matter what they said, but what they did, he decided that, you know, they're not to be trusted. And when he came back into politics um, as a, again, he's a social, he's a self-proclaimed social democrat. He, he runs the large, biggest party, the strongest party in Bosnia by sheer numbers. All of Bosnia, not just Republican Serbs. Um, he went with the platform of, I'm going to defend the constitution. I'm going to defend the interests of Republika Srpska against people who are trying to encroach on it. And if people are offended by this, that's their problem. And he's been very, very blunt, um, undiplomatic even. Uh, but others have been more diplomatic and it didn't avail them at all. It doesn't matter. Like he, he, His behavior is not what's triggering this. His behavior is a response. And the, the fact that he's basically telling people to F off without saying those exact words yet, you know, that you can't you can't blame that for the tensions, because, again, he started doing this as a response to this constant encroachment of the U.S. backed so-called international community 20 years ago. Yeah, but you know what, Nabors, I mean, look who's the president right now. Is yeah, it doesn't matter. Joe Biden. I mean, he was the worst guy. He he might yeah. have been worse than uh, John McCain in the Senate at the time yeah. on all of this stuff, right? Right, and he said things about the Serbs, you know, that, that I can't I I can't share on a family-friendly radio show. Like I'm just saying, things, listen, yeah. man, you know, it would be wise to not unreasonably provoke a worse escalation with this kook sitting there with his finger on the button because well, once the secretary well, of defense gets out of the hospital, then the president can tell him to tell guys to blow that place up. Um, right. With what? That's the issue. Have you seen what happened off the coast of Yemen lately? There was supposed to be this big armada that was going to, you know, secure freedom of navigation in the Red Sea. <laughs> How's that going exactly? Pentagon? Like, you know, I, I mean, that's like going to the Houthis and saying, could you guys be a little bit more polite? <laughs> that's not going to happen. I'm not saying the Serbs are the Houthis, but, you know, they've been pushed far enough. I certainly understand. Like, would, would I want them to be more diplomatic? Maybe. Yeah. But has that accomplished anything? It has. Well, to... don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not saying that he would win again, you know, make the Houthis bend to his will any more than he could make the Serbs bend to his will. But he could still drop high explosives all over you anyway, you know. Well, I mean, they can try. Um, I'm not I'm not so confident about NATO's ability to wage war at this point, not after two years of sending every scrap of ammunition they've had to Kiev. Um, but honestly, here's the thing. And this is this is maybe me speaking as an ethnic Serb with, you know, whose ancestors lived in Bosnia and who've been exposed to various um Benefits of European civilization as administered by the Austria-Hungary and benefits of Oriental civilization as administered by the, by the Ottoman Turks. There comes a point where you just have to say no. And your the basic, you know, liberty begins with, freedom begins with the, with the ability to say, no, I won't. If, if you're not, if you're unable to disagree, if you're, if you're unable to withdraw consent, are you really truly free? You're not. 
And the Bosnian Serbs value freedom over their lives. And that, that has always been so, and Dodik has spelled it out. So maybe this is a radical idea for a lot of people around the world. Yeah. But what they're saying right now is, is they've explicitly said, we don't want war. We don't want anybody else's land or, or powers or, you know, authorities. We just want what is our own, what is guaranteed by this constitution, what has been usurped illegally by people who are not, um, who have no authority to do so, who are falsely claiming to be um, things that they're not, specifically this German politician, former agriculture minister, Christian Schmidt, who claims to be the high representative of the international community. But what is this? What is the international community? You know, who appoints him? What powers do they have in order to delegate? And none of this actually exists. It's all a mirage. And, you know, people have tolerated it for years because they had, you know, they were told they had to. Well, they've, they've come to the end of their rope and decided, no, we don't have to tolerate this. You have no power here. And he's, right, well, he's sitting in Sarajevo shrieking about it. But what is he going to do? Start a war? Yeah, I hope not. I'll tell you when this uh, Israel-Palestine stuff kicked off again, more, worse, in October... And I was just saying, cease fire, just stop the thing. And someone was saying how unreasonable that was. And a Bosnian Serb entered the chat and said, hey, look, Bosnian Serb here. Let me tell you, step one is just stop killing people. You know, we could get up every day and nurse that grudge from that time that our brother or our brother-in-law or whoever it was got killed. And we could go slit a throat and keep this thing going or not. And so that's the thing. Just keep everything below that pitch and figure out a better way to proceed. And then, so this is my last question. I'm sorry, because we are pretty short on time. But I wonder, because obviously what you say, Richard Holbrook and Dayton and all that, I mean, they did throw the Muslims under the bus on Zeppa and Srebrenica, at least, and some other things, you know, so it wasn't everything the Muslims wanted. But I understand, you know as you described at the beginning, it's NATO power that basically holds the thing together. But so what's a reasonable way forward? You let the Bosnian Serbs finally join with Serbia and keep their independence that way? Or what do you have in mind? I mean, literally just, just enforce the constitution as written is, it seems it's not even a reasonable compromise. It's, it's literally the only solution for this to keep working. You know, Again, it's the U.S. and their their you know NATO puppets in in Sarajevo, not uh, probably off the reservation. I don't even know if this is the official policy of the State Department or the Biden administration, or if it's somebody in Sarajevo running his own private man who would be king type of foreign policy. But you know, all it takes is enforcing the, the Dayton Constitution as written. That's all. No, nobody wants war. Nobody wants secession. Nobody wants you know, conflict with either NATO or the EU or anything. Mm -hmm. All people want is for the law to be enforced as written without any of these emanations and penumbras or the spirits or, <laughs> you know, bond powers or, you know, this German tourist posing as the new viceroy. You know, people are sick of this crap. If, if you know, if, if the EU could create prosperity at home, it would have. It can't. If the U.S. was able to create peace and prosperity, it would have done so starting at home, but also elsewhere in the world. It can't. So what what gives the American ambassador the right to go to another country and orders them around how to live their lives and how to organize their affairs? It's preposterous. The embassy has overstepped its, its bounds. The Germans have overstepped their bounds. 
you know, people need to calm down and figure out, do they want to fight a war? No, they don't. And, you know, people on both sides who are like, let's fight this out. These are these are people who have no idea what war was really like 30 years ago. I don't want to go through that ever again. Nobody should. Nobody's been through that wants to go through that ever again. But as long as you have these people to whom war is what they see on television or in video games, whose source of information is things like CNN and, and propaganda coming out of Ukraine, and who are in, getting inspired by the American embassy with these stupid stunts featuring two F-16s and some forward air controllers simulating bombing runs, and think, oh, we're going to have a you know 24-hour war and we're going to kill all the Serbs and, and establish a glorious Islamic state. That is insane. And it's the U.S. Embassy promoting this, and it's Brussels promoting this, and it's Washington promoting this, and they're the ones who can make it stop. Yeah, well, man, good luck to us all, especially you. Um, hey, I read this thing before I let you go. I, I searched your name up, and I found an article from, was it August 1995 in the New York Times? And the war is over. And you just got drafted into the the Muslim army, or you got your notice that prepare to be drafted, or something. Do I have that right? Um, yeah, I think it was the New Republic, actually. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was um, that that was accurate. I did get my draft notice. Um, they they never eventually never uh, never invoked it, but um, yeah, I was I was supposed to be conscripted and sent to basic training in like October. Um, right when the ceasefire was signed, um, right ahead of Dayton. So yeah, I was I was 18 in the year the war ended. Um, I was 15 when it started. I again been there the entire duration. I was in Sarajevo. I have stories for a different, for a different occasion. We're out of time now, but I, I've experienced war firsthand, and I don't wish it upon anybody. Yeah, um, and you started writing for AntiWar.com in the year 2000. Yes, I did. I wrote for about 15 years before uh, I stopped writing exclusives when I joined RT, but uh, I still from time to time send something in. Uh, it's, a, it's a great website, noble cause, and I wish everybody would support it. Yeah, man. I wish everybody would go site, colon, antiwar.com, Balkan Express. And in fact, no, just search Malik. It's Malik, but, you know, there's no H, but, you know. Uh, and because... After a while, we I guess we took the titles off everybody's column, and it was just the Nabojsamalich column, you know. So, uh, but search antiwar.com, or I think your name's in the right-hand margin there somewhere anyway. Still. Should be. Yeah. Should be still. All right. Well, look, man, thank you so much for coming back on the show. It's great to talk to you again, and um, let's hope everything stays uh, only this bad and then less worse than that. I hope so. I hope and pray for peace because I, there are people out there who know better. And there, there's there's going to be hotheads um, everywhere uh, at all times. We just the, the trick of civilization is not letting them prevail. Yep. Totally right. All right. Well, listen, man, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Nabush. Great to talk to you, man. Thanks for having me. The Scott Horton Show, Anti-War Radio, can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. APSradio.com antiwar.com, scotthorton.org, and libertarianinstitute.org.